0: Good evening! I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Story. My name is Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories that you've all heard before, but you haven't heard in a good long while. Links to tonight's stories are in the show notes at BedtimeWithBVJ.com. Tonight, we continue our story. Little Girl Afraid of a Dog by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman. She walked along, praying, her heart beating heavily, her limbs shaking. The little dog reached her. He was a little dog, and it was a sheer absurdity for her to feel such fear of him. He danced around in circles, regular dog war dance, as she advanced. His yelps became louder and louder. It seemed inconceivable that such a small animal could have such a terrific bark. Emmeline went steadily on, towing in, holding her basket of eggs in a hand which did not feel as if it belonged to her. It did not seem that her whole body belonged to her, or any other sense than It did not seem that her whole body belonged to her and any other sense than as a machine which bore her conscience her obedience, her fear, and the basket of eggs. When she reached a Tickner house, it was blue-white, trembling with a curious, rigid terror. Trembling with a curious, rigid tremor, she knocked and the little dog gave a furious, a frantic yelp and tugged at her skirt. Then the second of her deliverance came. The door opened. An enormous, slathernly woman, a mountain of inert flesh, appeared. She bade the dog be quiet. He did not obey. But Emmeline had a sense. But Emmeline had a sense of protection. It had occurred to her more than once that perhaps Mrs. Tickner, in consideration of the eggs, would, if Spotty actually attacked her, sit upon him. That she would not actually let her be bitten. Behind Mrs. Tickner the close room swarmed with children, children with gaping, grinning faces, some of them with impudent faces, but most of them placidly inert like their mother. The Tickners represented the varied doldrums of humanity. None of them worked nor progressed except the father, who occasionally could be induced to do a little work for the neighbors when the supplies ran too low and actual starvation became a temporary gold. Today he was plowing for a farmer, plodding lazily along behind a heavy old horse. He could scarcely be said to be working. Emmeline was glad that he was not at home. Emmeline was glad that he was not at home. Sometimes he had been drinking considerable hard cider, and although he never spoke to her, the hard red in his face disturbed her. Also the glassy stare of his stupid eyes. Mother sent these eggs said Emmeline in a small, weak voice. Mrs. Tickner took them with an inarticulate note of thanks, like a dumb beast. The children stared and grinned and gaped. All the dingy room seemed full of staring eyes and gaping, grinning mouths. The little dog yelped viciously, louder and louder. It was incredible of what a crescendo that small dog was capable Emmeline pinned her faith on Mrs. Tickner's coming to her rescue in case of an actual assault, but every minute she expected to feel the needle-like teeth in her ankle. All her flesh shrank and quivered. It seemed as if Mrs. Tickner would never find the dish in which to deposit the eggs. Finally she did, however, and Emmeline took her basket. The little dog followed with his circling war dance and his crescendo of yelps to the curve of the road. Then, as was invariably the case, he turned suddenly and ran home, as if with a sudden conviction that the game was not worth the candle. Then Emmeline towed out and walked on briskly, her head up. Her trial for that day was over. When she reached home, her mother looked at her, and her face brightened. "'You look so much better for your walk, darling,' she said." Then she asked if the Tickners seemed pleased. Then she asked if the Tickners seemed pleased with the eggs. Emmeline was in a little doubt as to the amount of actual pleasure which the Tickners had displayed, but she said, "Yes'm, it means a great deal to them, poor things." Said her mother, "I am so glad we can help them a little, and so glad you can do your part." Yes'm, said Emmeline. The next morning the torture was repeated. It was like a historical promenade between two rows of Indians armed with cruel weapons. However, she survived it, and when she came home, both her mother and aunt remarked upon her improved appearance. However, she survived it, and when she came home, both her mother and her aunt remarked upon her improved appearance. That was so misled them. Every morning, Emmeline returned from her charitable trip with such a... with such a sense of momentary relief that her face was naturally brighter than when she started. But all the while, she steadily lost ground under the... But all the while, she steadily lost ground under the strain. Finally, the doctor was called in, and a tonic prescribed, and when school began after the spring vacation... It was decided that Emmeline should remain at home, but try to go on with her class with Aunt Martha's assistance. I think nothing except that morning walk to the Tickners to carry eggs keeps the poor child up anyway, said Emmeline's mother, who had followed the doctor to the door. I dare say, he replied, keep her out in the fresh air all you can, and send her on errands. That and send her on and send her on errands that interest her. That does interest her, said Mrs Ames. She is so pleased to think she is helping those poor Tickners, dear little thing. Emmeline overheard what was said. The floor. Emmeline overheard what was said. The door was slightly ajar. There was a curious little twitch about her sensitive mouth. Troubled as she was, she saw the humor in the situation. The very thing which was making her ill, her mother regarded as her chief medicine. It seemed strange that Emmeline did not tell her mother of her true state of mind. The expeditions would have been at once stopped. She did not tell her, however, and possibly for reasons which she did not herself understand, there is in every complete pers- there is in every complete personality a side which is dark, except for its own self and God. And Emmeline, and Emmeline realized this dark side in herself, although vaguely, she knew perfectly well that nobody, not even her mother, who loved her could understand rightly this dark side, which was sacred to herself. She knew that if she told her mother how she fra- she knew that if she told her mother how afraid she was of that little Tickner dog, she would be petted and comforted, and would never have to face the terror again, and yet she knew that her mother would secretly laugh over her and not comprehend how she felt. And it seemed to her that she could not face that. She would rather face the dog. So she continued carrying the eggs and praying, and the little dog continued barking at her and snapping at her heels and tugging at her dress, and she took the doctor's medicine, and yet she grew paler and thinner and slept less and ate less, and her mother and aunt thought that the daily walk in the open was all that kept the child up. Then, three weeks after she first began her charitable trips, something happened. It was about the first of April, but the spring was very late, and that Wednesday morning had seemed to suffer an actual relapse into winter. The northwest wind blew cold, as if from northern snow and ice fields. The ground was frozen hard, and the farmers had been obliged to quit their plowing, which they had begun on mild days. The long furrows in a field which Emmeline had to pass before she reached a curve in the road lay stretched out stiff and rigid like dead men. In the midst of that field stood a little corn house, the door of which was open. Emmeline glanced casually across the field as she lagged along. She still wore her little red coat and hat, under which her soft fleece of blonde hair flew before the wind like a flag. She glanced casually, then her heart gave a great leap and seemed to stand still. Over that rigid field she had seen a little live-object scamper and make straight for that cornhouse, which he entered, doubtless in pursuit of some smaller, swifter thing which she could not see, possibly a field mouse or a mole. Emmeline knew the pursuer to be the Tickner dog. A thought leaped into her brain, a thought so wild and audacious that she could not entirely harbor it for a second. Then all her faculties rose to action— Down on the ground she set her basket of eggs. Over the fence, with its tangle of leafless vines, she went, and across the fields she raced, her little feet skipping from furrow to furrow, her hair streaming. She reached the cornhouse and grasped the door, swinging outward and looking in... swinging outward and creaking in the cold wind with a grasp of despair. She slammed it to and fastened it. Emmeline at last had her enemy safe in prison... An angry bark and a scratching assailed her ears as she sped back to the road. But Spotty could not get loose. She was sure of that. It was a strong little house. Emmeline took up her basket of eggs and went on. Nobody had seen her. This was a lonely spot on the road. A mad exultation filled her heart. For the first time she was going to the Tickner's without fear clutching her. Without fear clutching her body and soul. When she rounded the curve in the road and came in sight of the squalid little group of buildings, they looked almost beautiful to her. She fairly laughed to herself. She almost danced as she went on. When she reached the house and Mrs. Tickner opened the door, as usual, she saw for the first time what a really lovely face the little girl had. When she reached the house and Mrs. Tickner opened the door as usual, she saw for the first time. What a really lovely little face the next little girl to the baby had, in spite of dirt. She smiled as she delivered the eggs and stood beaming while Mrs. Tickner emptied the basket and returned it. She had no need to look about or listen for any spiteful animal now. She was quite safe. She went home light-footed. She was quite rosy when she reached there. The dear child is really better said to her mother when Emmeline had gone to put away her outdoor wraps. "'Yes,' said Mrs. Ames. "'She certainly does look better, "'and I do believe it is nothing but that walk every morning in the fresh air "'that has done her good.' "'I think so, too,' said Martha. "'I think it has done her much more good than the doctor's medicine.' "'For Martha herself looked, in spite of her pride and high carriage of head, "'as if she needed some helpful tonic for either soul or body or both.' She had grown thinner. And although she smiled, the smile did not look spontaneous. In these days, Martha smiled mechanically and only with her lips. Her lips curved prettily, but her eyes remained serious and thoughtful, even once, even while she spoke about Emmeline’s looking better. Emmeline did in reality seem better all that day. she even, lo- she even asked for luncheon between breakfast and noon. She slept well that night. She ate her breakfast with an appetite the next morning, and set out even merrily on her errand to the Tickners. It was still cold, and the northwest wind had not gone down. It had raged all night. When she came to the field in which the corn-house stood, the door was closed fast, no one was at work, and the plough ridges which later on would be green with waving flags of corn lay stiffly like dead men, as if as they had done the day before. Emmeline looked at the corn house. She thought, but she was not quite sure, that she heard a little plaintive sound, something between a whine and a yelp. When she returned, she was quite sure. She knew that she had heard it. Her face sobered. When she reached home, her mother and aunt exchanged glances, and her mother went into the kitchen to tell Annie to make some beef tea. Emmeline had to drink a cup of it when it was made. Her mother and aunt had agreed, with dismay, that she did not look so well as she had done the day before. She looked still worse as the day wore on and the days wore on. During three days, Emmeline suffered tortures of remorse with regards to the little dog shut up in the cornhouse and perhaps starving to death, unless there might be some, <laughs> unless there might be some scattered corn left over from the year before, or rats. Emmeline was not quite sure as to whether Spotty would eat rats, even if reduced his starvation. She astonished her mother on the evening of the second day by inquiring, apropos of nothing at all, Mother, do dogs ever eat rats? And when both her mother and aunt seemed unable to answer positively in the affirmative, her little face took on an expression of white misery which amazed them. After Emmeline had gone to bed that night, her mother told her aunt, "'that if the child was not better before long, "'she should call in another doctor. "'It was horrible for Emmeline during those mornings "'to pass that cornhouse "'With its shut door and desolate field, "'she felt like a murderess. "'She was not quite sure whether she had heard "'Spotty's plaintive whine. "'She wondered if he were dead and she had killed him. "'It was the evening of the third day "'that Emmeline made up her mind. "'Chance favored her. "'Annie had forgotten to order a yeast cake, and the fact was mentioned in her presence just before supper. and he said that she would go to the store after supper and get it, for she must mix bread that night. Then Emmeline spoke eagerly, Mother, can't I go? There is plenty of time before supper. Please let me go. Her aunt abetted her. I would let her go if I were you, she said. She will sleep better. The air is lovely, although it is frosty for this time of year. Martha had just come from a walk to the post office. "'There I have been right in the store and could have got it if I had known,' she said. "'But I do think it will do Emmeline good to run out, "'and it will not be dark until after she gets back.' "'So Emmeline went. "'She had mysteriously tucked up the sleeve of her red coat a little parcel, "'which contained two chicken bones. "'They were nice little chicken bones wrapped in white paper. "'She carried also her little purse, in which she had some money of her own.' Besides the pennies which her mother had given her to buy the yeast with, Emmeline flashed out of sight of the house windows, a swift little figure in red. "'I can't make her out at all,' Emmeline's mother said. "'There she has seemed all calm. "'There she has seemed all down to the dumps for two days and a half, "'and all of a sudden she's as eager to go to the store as I ever saw her about anything in her life. "'Her eyes looked as bright as stars.' If she were grown up, I would, I should think, she had something on her mind, Martha said reflectively. Now, Martha, what nonsense. What can that baby with everything done for her have on her mind? Of course she cannot, said Martha, but her eyes were reflective. Meantime, Emmeline Emmeline sped on her way. The store was on a street at right angles to the one leading to the Tickner's, which opened just before the field with the cornhouse was reached. Which opened just before the field with the cornhouse was reached. Emmeline hurried to the store, bought the yeast cake, and also with her own money a little paper bag of sweet crackers. Then, swiftly, without a moment's hesitation, she ran back to the other road and across the field to the cornhouse. She listened for just one second before opening the door she heard a little whine. Not a bark, but a whine. Then she opened the door, and no soldier charging the enemy ever required more spirit than she. But open it she did. She held out the chicken bones. Then she flung them at poor Spotty, emerging frailingly from... emerging trailingly from the dusty interior. Spotty caught at the little bones and crunched them down. Then Emmeline fed him with the sweet crackers... She put one on the ground, and as the little animal caught it up, a feeling of great love and pity overcame her. All at once she loved that which she had feared. She fed Spotty the rest of the sweet crackers from her little red-mittened hand, and she did not have the slightest quiver of terror, even when the sharp little teeth were so near her fingers. After the crackers were all gone, Emmeline started homeward, and Spotty followed her. He bounded around her, leaping up, barking with joy. He was a poor little mongrel, and from heredity and poor training he had lacked the better traits of his kind. He had been mischievous, cowardly, and malicious. He had loved nobody, but now he loved Emmeline for setting him free and giving him food. He knew nothing of the injury which she had done him. He was conscious only of the benefit. So he followed her. As he had never followed any of the Dickners, they, in truth, had never cared for him. They had simply been too indolent and too indifferent to turn him adrift when a poor canine wanderer, he had located himself with them uninvited. But this was different. He loved this little girl, who had opened his prison door and fed him with nice chicken bones and sweet crackers. He had suffered, and she had come to his aid. He was still thirsty, but thirst would also be satisfied by her. He followed her with joyful faith across the field. When they reached the road leading to the store, a man emerged thence, walking hurriedly. Emmeline knew him at once. He was Mr. John Adams. John spoke to Emmeline in a confused sort of way. "'Oh, it is you, Emmeline,' he said. "'Yes, sir,' replied Emmeline. "'How are your mother and aunt?' Pretty well, I thank you. Have you been to supper? No, sir. Mr. John Adams hesitated still more. Well, he said, I had my supper early, and so... And so... Emmeline glanced up at him and saw to her amazement that his face was burning red, and he was smiling foolishly. I thought, he said, finally, that... I would run up to your house this evening, and I thought I would go early because I happened to think it was the evening for prayer meeting, and I didn't know, but she, your, your mother and aunt might be going, and and I thought if they were, if, if I went early, I, I would go along with them. Mother and Aunt Martha aren't going to meeting, I heard them say so, said Emmeline. Then she added, out of the innocence of her soul, "'I know Aunt Martha would be real glad to see you.' "'Do you think she will?' asked Mr. John Adams eagerly. "'Yes, sir.' "'I wonder how you would like it if I should come and live in your house, "'with you and your mother and aunt,' said John Adams. Emmeline slipped her little hand into his. "'I think it would be real nice,' she said. "'You dear little soul!' "'said Mr. John Adams. "'He squeezed her hand in his big, strong one. "'Is that your dog, little one?' he asked. "'No, sir.' "'I didn't know, but you were getting it. "'I didn't know, but you had been getting a pet dog since I was at your house. "'That is the Tickner dog. He followed me.' "'Just then the dog leaped up, and Emmeline patted his head, laughing. "'He is a mongrel, but he seems a bright little dog,' said Mr. John Adams.' "'I should think you would keep him. "'He can't have a very good home at the Tickners.' "'I'm going to, if Mother will let me,' said Emmeline with sudden resolve. "'The little triumphal procession went on its way. "'The west was a clear, cold red. "'They passed a field in which stood scattered stacks of last year's corn. "'In the shadow the withered blades had a curious vivid crudeness of something "'which was rather tone than color.' They gleamed out like nearly cut wood, like naked flesh. They were elemental, belonging to the first dry death, for which there are no paints on the palette, any more than for light and air and sentient life. But where the red, but where the red western glow struck these blades of corn, they were lit with brilliant reflections and seemed to leap into flames of red gold. In the sky was fairly visible a flimsy arc of new moon. A great star was slowly gathering light near it. Emmeline danced along, holding the Mr. John Adams' hand. Her head was up. Her whole face laughed. The little dog raced ahead. He ran back. He leaped and barked short, joyous barks. They were all conquerors by that might of spiritual panoply of love with which they had been born equipped. There was the dog, in whom love had conquered brood, spite, and maliciousness, the man in whom love had conquered self-will, but the child was the greatest conqueror of the three, for in her love had conquered fear, which is in all creation its greatest foe, being love's own antithesis. Being love's own antithesis. You ever been afraid of something, and when you finally conquer that fear, you... You wonder what it, what you were doing all this time, being afraid of it? I've had that, <laughs> most assuredly with dogs, by the way. And it's true. Dogs are loud. I don't know how loud they can be, but they are very, very loud. And to a young person walking into a neighbor's yard for the first time, it can be very jarring. Especially if you can't see them, but you certainly hear them. But love conquers all. It conquers fear. It conquers disagreements. And it conquers trepidation. Can we all try just a little bit of love? Put that in your mind as you drift off to sleep tonight. Also put in your mind, if you are looking for love, there's a great new place out there. It's called Match.com. They'll match you up with all the finest loves that you want. Enter BVJ in the promo code and it will do absolutely nothing because this is not a sponsor to read. But I would like you to put your thoughts and comments into an email and send it to me. Bigvoicej at gmail.com Tell your friends about the show. Be sure to give us a good review on Apple iTunes. It's now available everywhere. Even on your smart speaker. Just say, play BVJ's Bedtime Stories, and you'll hear it. That's all for tonight's show. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>